You also knew Bill Gates and had some amazing encounter with him. If I understand this correctly, you lifted a spell from Gates, who was in some kind of personal pain as a as a result of some activity he engaged in as a power broker. Could you tell us about that? We were at a Bilderberg meeting. And just to explain to people, Bilderberg is a, a group of moneyed yeah. and influential people worldwide, meets in different cities. George Soros goes and other, other VIPs. Right. And their job is to move Satan's agenda around the world. Let's stop there, Zachary. It's not that I disagree. I don't know. Are these your words or are these, is it on the mission statement? That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty strong claim. I have no idea what's on their mission statement. Can't imagine it is to spread Satan's mission around the world. I would, I would find that strange. It's not to move peace and love around the world. Explain to me why you say that. Well, Bill Gates has said in multiple interviews that if he could get the whole world to take, some, take a vaccine, he could kill off a major part of the world. Millions of people would die taking the vaccine. What kind of person that loves people would say something like that? Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. Zachary King calls himself a former high wizard in a satanic church who converted to the Catholic faith after a lifetime of self-described diabolical evil. By one account, he assisted in 146 abortions. As a high wizard at secretive events worldwide, he said he met and saw some of the world's richest and most powerful people, from Bill Gates and Ronald Reagan to Hillary and Bill Clinton. Zachary King lives in Kansas, grew up in Florida, and his life story is both astonishing and shocking and attracts skeptics and believers alike. Reps for Bill Gates have not so far responded to my request for comment on Zachary's story on his encounter you just heard with the computer mogul. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. I got involved in the first satanic coven because I was recruited by another 12-year-old child. And uh, so that's how I joined the first group. I became a wizard when I was 21. So that was okay. my well, as a high wizard, you do an assisted abortion. Your job is to get blood on your hands. I, I would like to stay positive and say that we have rosaries, we have masses. You know, we have things that we can do as Catholics, but we're bombarded by the devil every day. So, Sherlock, it's grand to have you back. I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. My guest is Zachary King, a self-described former high wizard in a satanic church who became a Catholic convert after a miraculous encounter and who has spoken publicly about his life of the diabolical. He says it all started with magic of the dark kind, M-A-G-I-C-K it's spelled. He is the author of Abortion, 
is a satanic sacrifice. His story is sometimes jaw-dropping, and as we've already stated, he has believers and skeptics alike. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Zachary King, welcome to my show. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm sure there are listeners who will find a lot of what you're going to tell us incredible, fantastic, stretches the imagination. I I guess there's no word to properly describe it, no adjective in the English language to describe your life story. And jaw-dropping doesn't even do it any justice. It is shocking and disgusting, but, but it ends very nicely. I want to make it also very clear that I'm not here to defend you or offend you. I'm not here as your shill or your flack. I'm not here to condemn you. I just want you to present your story from the beginning until today. And I'm going to, pardon the pun, play devil's advocate. I do want to ask you some hard questions uh, about um, evidence and because it's going to be on a lot of people's minds because you've come in for some criticism. Uh, from skeptics uh, in church circles and outside church circles, and and we leave it at that. So today you are a practicing and devout Roman Catholic, as you would probably call yourself, but your life begins in a small town in Florida where you dabbled in some very strange stuff. Can you give us an abbreviated account of your life and how it moved from that period through today. In 1999, I left organized Satanism to escape that. Uh, I hid off the grid for three years. So nobody knew anything about me for three years. I had all my jobs were cash under the table. And then I resurfaced in Burlington, Vermont. And you want me to go ahead and tell my... A lot of the details you're giving us, I want you to repeat them, obviously, in an abbreviated fashion. But it's worth telling listeners that they can go to your website and find accounts of this in many published stories. Uh, but take us to Vermont. Something uh, interesting and strange occurred there that turned your life around. Uh, if they want to go to my website, it's allsaintsministry.org. I was working in a jewelry store piercing pagoda and I did a magic spell the night before the next day this woman came in and wanted to pair buy a pair of gold hoop earrings and I sold her the pair but she said well I'm shopping with my daughter and when I'm done I'll come back and buy them and most people that say that mean I'm going to go find it cheaper someplace else but she had an honest face and I thought she's really coming back three hours later she came back we did the transaction I gave her the receipt and I said, if you call the 800 number on this receipt and uh, take a survey, you might want $1,000. And she said, I've got something for you too. And she reached in her purse. And I thought she was going to pull out a Jack Chick pamphlet, tell me I'm sinning, I need to beg for forgiveness and all this. And I believed I had sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. Couldn't do that. But instead, she pulled out a little gold, cheap disc. I didn't have any idea what it was. And then she said the weirdest thing I'd ever heard. She said, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And I thought, Blessed Mother, Isis, Gaia? I don't have any idea. I grew up Baptist. And then she said, it's very powerful. I know Protestants don't bless anything, so she must represent some female deity cult. And I just tune her out. You know, I I go to my happy place. 
And after a while, I noticed she's still talking to me. I have your money. You have my gold. This is win-win. Why are you still here? I tune her back in. She says again, it's very powerful. No. I used to be the high wizard. I could have been the only one high wizard in the world. Out of 7 billion people, I'm doing the world's magic. There's no way, whatever this is, this blessed, miraculous metal. I didn't know that at the time. No way that can touch me. So there's no mystique, no power to this thing. I stuck my hand out. My goal was to throw it on the floor or slam it on my counter and tell her it's worthless. This can do nothing to me. This cannot touch me. And I stuck my hand out. She dropped it in my hand. I clenched my fist around it. And when I clenched my fist, my store and my mall completely disappeared. It's just me and this woman standing in this darkened void. Her name is Marianne Wickman. She's still alive. And she would testify to this event? She would testify to the event that she gave me a miraculous medal and some of the stuff that happened. But apparently, me seeing Jesus and me seeing the Blessed Mother was only me. She didn't see all that. She just stood there and kept talking to me. My mall and my store disappeared. Uh, This woman tells me about the magic spell I did last night, and that's of the devil. She told me that I split over 100 churches, and that's of the devil. And that I did over 100 abortions, and that's of the devil. As you would have described them, ritualistic abortions, correct? These are abortions that happen in 865 Planned Parenthoods every day. And you were involved with these directly? Yes. Well, as a high wizard, you do an assisted abortion. Your job is to get blood on your hands. Okay. Because you're there to do a spell. Well, I, I'll let you continue with your story, but I'll just stop on the horrors of the abortion uh, abortions that you were involved with. That's a lot of abortions. It's shocking. Even one is shocking and, and is too many. Practically speaking, you were in multiple facilities at different periods of your life. Were you, Or was it one abortion facility? Which one was it? Or which ones? They were all over the world. As a high wizard, you travel everywhere. Who paid for your airfares? Satan. By your account, it was Satan, but you had to prop up a credit card or a check or actual hard cash. I don't do that. That's not my end. I just travel. Hmm. I don't pay for it. So your airfares were paid for? They were paid for. You have to go online to book the tickets or you have to call the airline company or somebody. There must be an intermediary. Just just a little quick so that people aren't skeptical here, Zachary. Why would they be skeptical? Everybody has flown. Everybody books somehow. No, no, no. no. I, I don't doubt that we all fly and we, we have passports and so on, but I'm just trying to think of how you, you said Satan paid for these. My question is, what? how was it transacted? How did Satan facilitate okay, all right, this? All right. When God pays for something, how does he pay for it? Well, I suppose we never think of it in those terms. We think of it in terms of the cash or the digital currency we have or our bank account. So many people say that God bought their groceries, God paid their rent, God bought them their car, God got them their house, God got them their spouse. How did he do that? Doesn't he usually use an intermediary to do that? But we don't question that. You, You don't question that. No. So why is it a question to how did the devil do it? My only my question really is a, is a fundamental practical one. In, 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 for most people, they go to do a nine-to-five job and the boss gives them direct deposit in their account and they can have a credit card or a line of credit or something. And then they call up 
the airline company or do it online and book it. So you could, in theory, say, you know, through prayer, which is possible, obviously, God led me to that job and ultimately led me to have a paying job so I could feed my family. So, well, as a high wizard, you don't get paid. You're given gifts, you're given stuff, Hmm. but you're not paid money. It's not a paying job. Mm hmm. You have a regular job during all this. I see. You're the high wizard. You get to travel everywhere. So you have to have a job that gives you flexibility to do stuff. But anyway, you said you travel all over and you, you perform these abortions. So, so take us to the next part of this journey. We're still in the uh, talking about the blessed, miraculous metal part mm-hmm. where Mary showed up, took me by the hand, turned me around. Divine mercy Jesus was standing behind me. In that moment, I realized I did not sell my soul to the devil. I realized Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. I realized all my magic, my occult, my Satanism, and my new age was false. And I realized everything Catholic was truth. And the Blessed Mother told me my job was to help her end abortion. I opened my hand, and I was back in my store, back in my mall. This woman, Marianne Wickman, still talking to me. And she tells me that she works for Father Joe Whalen. Mm-hmm. And Raphael Healing Oil Ministry, and that he's the busiest priest she knows, and he doesn't even have time to talk to her. And while we're talking, her phone rings, and it's Father Joe. And at that time, Father Joe was going deaf, and he talked like everybody else was going deaf. <laughs> so when he talked on the phone, I heard everything he said, you know. And she says, "Father Joe, what can I help you with? Can you hand the phone to the young man you're talking to?" So she hands me the phone. Now I'm shaking like Ozzy Osbourne. I take the phone away. Hello. Welcome to the faith. Hand the phone back to Marianne. So I handed the phone back to her. She got two more calls like that. She sent her daughter out to the truck to get me one of each of everything. I didn't know what that meant. And her daughter came back in with a paper grocery bag that had um, pamphlets. Why do Catholics believe this or do that? A Catholic Bible and around 125 Lighthouse Catholic media discs. I went home that night walked inside the door and told my wife that I was now Catholic and she was really mad and thought of all the things I could be, why on earth would I choose Catholicism? But the next day she started going to Catholic church with me. Uh, That was in January of 08. I officially came into the church in May of 08. Um, I left St. Raphael probably around 2010 I started All Saints Ministry at the same time, and I traveled the world on that ministry, and I put out a book. I put out a CD set called Abortion as a Satanic Sacrifice in 2015, and then in 2018, I put out the book, so a transcript of that, but there's some extra stuff in there, and including there's a, um, a letter, an endorsement letter from Father Frank Pavone. And that's up on your website too. What were you doing in Burlington? Was it just it attracted you as a location or was it because of maybe occult activity in that area? Or were you visiting Bernie Sanders? Uh, I I didn't know Bernie Sanders at that time. Um, When originally I was trying to get into Canada and the, the closest border crossing that didn't have a border guard was near Burlington, Vermont. But they ended up that they did have a border guard there. And the day that I tried to go was his very first day on the job. So I drove back to Burlington. I'd never been there before, actually. But 
when I got there, I had $18 and a half a tank of gas. So I just kind of got locked into their homeless program and uh, was in the homeless shelter for probably close to a month, two different ones, because one of them is for people that don't have jobs, but I got a job my first day in town. And so the second one is for people that do have jobs. And then I managed to get a house or at least get an apartment and um, you know, then got different jobs. You've said in previous interviews during the course of your career, if that's the right word, as a high wizard, um, you're exceedingly wealthy. Uh, you had multiple fancy cars and you had multi millions in your bank. But I also say that none of my money is mine mm -hmm. and none of my cars are mine and the houses that I'm living in aren't mine. To my name, I had an apartment. I lived in Frenchtown in Tallahassee, Florida. Frenchtown is the ghetto. It, it's one block. It starts one block behind the governor's mansion. So that's my real house. My real car was a Nissan Sentra and, and a used one at that. And most of my clothes were rock and roll t-shirts, ripped jeans, flip-flops, or vans. But then how do you explain, we're back to the uh, same inquiry again, how do you explain that money the devil provided, or what was it? Was yes. it in? It's very hard to comprehend then the distinction between living in poverty and then having all these cars and, and all this money. It's, it's impossible to understand. Okay. Are you familiar with the term use your illusion? Vaguely. Okay, to the Satanists in the world, I'm driving a Lamborghini Diablo. I'm dressed as the high wizard. I show up someplace, I'm top dog. I look like I've got everything and everybody wants to be me. This extremely wealthy individual, influential wizard and so on. Yes, but if you're my friend in real life, you know that I probably have about $235 in the bank at any given time. And that I wear Metallica shirts everywhere. Right. And I drink some ripped jeans. And so it was an illusion. So it was an, an illusion what you were right. projecting. Yeah. So you would show up at events and people would believe you to be this extraordinary individual with extraordinary wealth and multiple cars. And do you have any photographs from that period? Remember the part where I said I lived off the grid for three years? Yeah. Why would I save anything that could point back to what I was? I'm trying not to die at this point. I'm trying to not be found. You know, I'm trying to not attract attention. Mm. Yeah, let me let me post pictures of myself all over my walls in my house so that everybody that comes over can go, my gosh, what were you? What is this weird costume? Where are these cars now? Why don't you live in this mansion now? Why are you living in the ghetto? You know, I, I don't need it, that kind so of attention. Any evidence that might have been was basically destroyed. I didn't have a whole lot of evidence. Yeah. I didn't have a reason to keep anything. Mm. People ask me, you know, did I keep my, uh, my time cards from when I worked at Planned Parenthood? Well, I've never worked at Planned Parenthood. And who keeps their time cards? Well, let me ask you that. You have a job. Do mm -hmm. you keep time cards? Uh, time cards? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I associate it time cards with a different era almost at this point i guess maybe i'm showing my age somewhat um i don't think anybody does you just depending on the industry and in, you're in right. even back when you had time cards did you keep them no People ask me that do i keep that i keep my time why would anyone do that that's fair enough Zachary. but can you give us even in 
um, general terms without identifying people or, or, or bringing attention in a, in, in a way that could be damaging uh, to the events or even to, to you, perhaps. A general idea of where in the world were these abortions performed, what cities, what towns, any memories of that period? Uh, in Florida, West Palm Beach, Miami, uh, Lake City, Jacksonville, Panama City, outside of Florida, pretty much you name the town as long as it's not some podunk town that clearly wouldn't have an abortion. To go back to something we spoke about earlier, you do have a lot of support uh, among certain groups in the pro-life community because you are strongly against abortion and good for you. So so am I, Mike. And so you're an ally of the pro-life movement and it needs plenty of allies. Back to also some of the things you describe in other interviews and you've laid out in your own story. Uh, you mentioned all these rock stars who who you made, essentially. These were nobodies who became rock stars. How, how would you have, how did you make them? You go to what's called a warehouse deal. Now, the high wizard is like their point of contact. That's their first point of contact. So these people go to a warehouse deal. They know they're there to become a, a rock star. Um, I ask who wants to be famous. Everybody says they want to be famous. But then I put them on the spot. I say, what are you willing to do to be famous? Most people say they do anything until you pressure them. What do you mean by anything? And people will say, well, I, I wouldn't do anything with children or nothing with animals. Well, that's not who Satan wants. Satan wants the person that's willing to jump in the mud and be drugged through it. And if you're willing to do that, then I give you what's called a tier two card. You call the number on this card and I'll see you on MTV in six months. And I left it at that. If they call the number and did whatever they were supposed to do, I'd see them on MTV in maybe under six months. Or if they decided they didn't want to do something with children or animals or whatever they had to do, then I wouldn't see them in six months. I may not ever see them. That's an extraordinary claim. Can you identify any of these rock stars? Nobody that I did, but... Other rock stars are on MT are on uh, Goop, not what is it, YouTube, claiming that they sold their soul to the devil and became became rich and famous. Also, you mentioned how you hobnobbed with the rich and famous, uh, the billionaires of the world, politicians, lawmakers. There's a place in California, Bohemian Grove. You were at an event there, by your own telling, where you met Bill Clinton. And Ronald Reagan and even Hillary showed up, apparently, even though it's an all-male enclave. Can you tell us about that and give us some detail? The time that I met Clinton there, there's a large area with benches and chairs and they're having a barbecue. And I keep walking by this table that has all these desserts on it. And it's got a large cake and I just want a slice of that cake. But every time I walk by, the cake gets smaller and smaller. And finally, I walked past it and I thought... I'm stopping. I'm getting a piece. I don't care what's going on. And when I got to it, it was gone. And I looked around the area of all the tables and chairs. Pretty much there's just a speckling of people, maybe like five or six left. And there's this really large man and he's eating a piece of this cake. So I picked up my fork and walked over there and I asked him if I could have just a piece of the cake. And he told me to take half whichever half I want. So I took the front half, which is not the half I wanted. 
I wanted the back half because that's got all the icing. And, but I thought I'd be nice, and I took the front half. And then we started talking while I'm sitting there, and I found out that was Bill Clinton. But people in real life look different than they do on TV. How long ago was this, Zachary? What, roughly the year, or do you remember the year? Uh, probably 92. So he um, might have been 91. So while we were talking... And we were having a good time. Was he uh, amiable, full of fun? He was very, very friendly, all smiles. He knew what I was because I was dressed as the High Wizard. So you attracted attention. And I'm going to stop you there because uh, I, I heard you describe the, this event in a, a previous interview. And I wondered, was the purpose of you being at that was as a sort of um, an entertainment prop? rather than being a wizard to perform something in the occult? Which was it, or was it a combination of both? You stand six foot five, I believe. I'm six three, but with the hat on, yeah, I'm probably close to seven feet tall. You're kind of both, and you perform at the, the cremation of care. Mm-hmm. Alex Jones does a, a video where he sneaks into the Bohemian Grove and takes some top-secret video, and at some point, he's hiding in the woods, and he's describing what he's seeing. And he describes the high wizard on a flat bottom boat, pushing his way across a small river, and he does the cremation of care ceremony, or he leads it. So the high wizard is there for that, but he's also there for, you know, he meets with a lot of people that want to have magic spells done. Now, some people... It's not exactly, I don't do magic spells for every single person that needs me. I know how to push some papers through. I know how to get who to call or what, what papers to file to get certain things to pass. It's just a case of knowing who to contact, not necessarily a magic spell to do. You met Bill Clinton, you had some dessert. Did you approach any figures or did they approach you and say, hey, I want you to do a spell on me that I will become rich and famous or become a big shot politician. Most people, if you're at Bohemian Grove, you've already got those things. Is that how you get invited? You have to have a certain amount in your bank account and have influence in the world. Is that how you get invited? I got invited because I was the high wizard. Does a high wizard still go there every year or whenever this event is held? Yeah, High Wizard goes there every year because every year they do the cremation of care in July. And what is the cremation? It sounds eerie and has an unsavory feel to it. They do a mock sacrifice of a young child, usually a male. And it's supposed to... Did you ever bowl? Were you ever a bowler? Uh, I grew up in Ireland. We we had, I guess, street bowls or alley bowls, but not the American version, although it's changed now. I'm sure there are bowling alleys in Ireland. But okay. I did, to answer your question more directly, yes, I've bowled in America. I've enjoyed it. When we bowled back in the 80s and prior, before there was electronic bowling, you had a piece of paper and a pencil, mm. and you had to keep track of your own score. And certain guys that were suspicious, if they were bowling poorly, they would say, build me a wall, just like President, you know, ex-President Trump. Build me a wall. So the person doing the score takes the pencil and draws a wall on the paper and what that means is it's symbolic that no bad luck will transfer past this wall well that's what cremation of care is 
you eliminate all the bad luck of the year right there at this child sacrifice, and then you're going to have good year, good luck for the rest of the year. Is it evil? I would say that probably back in the day before you could bring a cell phone that would allow you to record everything, probably really did kill a child. Who owns the property? I think somebody in the Illuminati, but... And we'll talk about the Illuminati in a moment because you brought up that also previously. You met Ronald Reagan at Bohemian Grove, and that was uh, pretty uh, unusual to say the least. Something happened that seems a little surreal when you both met each other. I was happy because I voted for Reagan. I thought it'd be awesome to walk up and shake his hand. Although he was pro-life president, which seems ironic at the time for you. Well, yeah, I didn't really look. I didn't look at politics that much. I just liked Reagan. Mm. He was patriotic and I was patriotic. Mm. And I walked up to him to shake his hand. He is surrounded by security and I'm surrounded by security. Some of my security knew his security. So I was able to go right up to him and I stuck my hand out to shake his hand. Now, like the ever-present politician that he is, he stuck his hand out and then looked up and saw me and pulled his hand back. And he just stood. He didn't step back, but he leaned back. Like, he didn't want to have anything to do with me. He didn't even want to talk to me. He's talking to people all around him, not talking to me. Did he sense something? I would imagine that the aura I put off was pure evil. I would have never considered myself evil. I thought I was a nice guy. I like to make people laugh. I like to have a good time. I didn't associate anything I did with evil, except that, you know, I belong to a satanic coven. You know, there's that, there's the devil, but, you know, I didn't think of myself as evil. Did he strike you as a good person? Yes. He projected that? He projected that he was a Christian and he openly talked about God. At the event? Or generally in his life, he did? Well, generally in his life, he did. But even from the presidential podium, you know, when he gave a talk, he gave a speech, he would mention God. But, you know, at that event, he's talking about God. People are asking him, you know, to do something. And he says, I can't. I go to church that day. You said it was in the early 90s, 91. So if anybody wanted to verify this, they could just look at the attendance rolls and see your name listed. Good luck with that. I'd be listed as the high wizard. Yeah. So there was a high wizard at Bohemian Grove now, in 1991. Definitely one there. And that was you. 87 was uh, Reagan. Okay. Who would have been Clinton or would have been Barack Obama. Uh, you were at the Grove at these particular times. Yes. On the list, I'm sure it's a published list somewhere, even unless they shredded it and it was confidential. There's a, a wizard listed on the attendee list. I have no idea of that either. But if you look that up and find that, I'd appreciate you telling me. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen! By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. My guest is Zachary King, a self-described former high wizard in a satanic church who became a Catholic convert 
as a former high wizard, he travelled the world and met some of the world's elite, he says. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. You also knew Bill Gates and had some amazing encounter with him. If I understand this correctly, you lifted a spell from Gates, who was in some kind of personal pain as a, as a result of some activity he engaged in as a power broker. Could you tell us about that? We were at a Bilderberg meeting. And just to explain to people, Bilderberg is a, a group of moneyed yeah. and influential People worldwide meets in different cities. George Soros goes and other other VIPs. Right. And their job is to move Satan's agenda around the world. Let's stop there, Zachary. It's not that I disagree. I don't know. Are these your words or are these, is it on the mission statement? That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty strong claim. I have no idea what's on their mission statement. Can't imagine it is to spread Satan's mission around the world. I would I would find that strange. It's not to move peace and love around the world. Explain to me why you say that. Well, Bill Gates has said in multiple interviews that if he could get the whole world to take take a vaccine, he could kill off a major part of the world. Millions of people would die taking the vaccine. What kind of person that loves people would say something like that? What happened in your meeting or encounter with, with Gates? He was giving a drink out to people? or He was giving a drink of adrenochrome. And what is that? Surely you've looked that up. I'm an innocent Irish lad in America. I say that half jokingly. It's not a good substance. Um, You take children captive, torture them, scare them really bad. And then you take uh, the blood out of their bodies at this time because they're at the height of being scared and their adrenaline is flowing. And then that concoction is put over metals, precious metals like gold or platinum, and they filter it that way. And that creates a drink called adrenochrome that people drink or ingest in some way. And it's supposed to add life to their years or years to their life. And And he offered you this drink and you refused to take it. Is that correct? He offered the drink to everybody in the room, told everybody this would make them live longer. And I was drinking a Dr. Pepper. I like my Dr. Peppers. And uh, I was standing up drinking. And then he ordered everybody to stand up. And I sat down. And I crossed my feet on the table. And he was on the other side of the table. He had already passed out these drinks to everybody. People are making weird faces. and Nobody really wants to drink it. But he's saying we have to. So everybody is drinking it. And he tells them, I know it doesn't taste good but you'll live longer. You'll thank me later for this. And it looks disgusting. It smells disgusting. And, you know, when I first signed on as a high wizard, the book I was given said on the first page, no one can tell you what to do. So I believe that was law. No one can tell me what to do. I'm good with that. So he's in there trying to tell me what to do. I'm not down with it. So he starts screaming at me. Bill Gates. His voice can go up about five octaves. He's screeching that I have to drink this. I have to stand up and I have to drink this. And I told him he was annoying and you can't tell me what to do. And he's screaming. He comes to my side of the table and tells me I have to take a drink right now. And I picked up two bottles of Dr. Pepper, waved my hand over him. Suddenly he can't move. He can talk, but he can't move. And I walk out of the room, walk to my limo, get in my limo drive back to my hotel, get to my hotel, walk in my room. 
and my phone is ringing. So we answered the phone and he's not ready to apologize. So we hang up the phone and unplug it. I took a shower, relaxed a little bit, went out and got dinner, went clubbing, came back eventually, phone still ringing or we plugged it in, it's still ringing, and I'm getting ready for bed, and I finally, we took the call, and yes, he was ready to, to apologize, and he apologized very nicely. So very <laughs> Wow, nice. Bill Gates apologized so to I, you. I waved my hand, and the spell was released, and he was able to move again, and all was right with the world. Everything was fine. And so he was immobile under your spell. Correct, but he just has a demon holding him still. Yeah. Not really like I did anything. Hmm. I think I did something, but, you know, the devil lies to everybody. Uh, what year was this, and what what was the event about? How did you end up in this company? Uh, it was the Bilderberg meeting. Okay. Of, like, Which, 1991 or 1990. What city? Germany. It was in Germany. And who else was at that meeting? What other people would we know? I don't know. I didn't know him. He introduced himself when he walked in the room. Let me put this to you, Zachary. Uh, if I was to call Bill Gates' office and his PR rep and she or he put me through the bill or through that spokesperson, I asked, do you remember this event? Is it true? Would he deny, confirm, or would he just hang up the phone? What do you think his reaction would be if he was asked that directly? Well, see, if I was Bill Gates, I don't know that I would admit that I went to a Bilderberg meeting. I don't know that I would admit that a magic spell is even real mm-hmm. or that magic works. Yeah. It's in the Bible to tell you not to do magic. Right. I would tell you not to do something if it was impossible to do it. Okay. So what's also fantastic about this story, and listeners can make up their own mind, a lot of the people you describe live in an alternative universe uh, than most of us. They have private planes. They're fabulously wealthy. They're influential. They can pick up the phone and call people that a lot of us won't get through to in our lifetime. They can make decisions. They can change the course of history. Um, so they can jump on the plane in Washington and be in Germany at whatever amount of time it takes. And then they can be back two days later in Washington. So a lot of this stuff, and a lot of them are not, although there are many noble and many, I, I, I don't have any statistics on this, but I'm sure there's a lot of very wealthy people who are probably secular in their beliefs, free thinkers, probably, if we are to believe that. So anything goes. So maybe what you describe as possible, maybe they dabble in all of this stuff for fun. The occult and we'll play an Ouija board game or we'll bring in the wizard. We need to be entertained because there's sort of there's an emptiness in a lot of their lives. Okay. Well, what's your response to that? I know that the majority of the people that go to these events are not Christian and they don't have Christian ideals. You know, even those of us that didn't have, that weren't Christian, we still have morals of some sort. There's a lot of people that don't. You know, if you can't fathom people not having morals, look at the prisons. They're filled with people with no morals. You know, people have a code, you know, like a, a thief may not steal from a higher level thief, but he'll steal from somebody else. Yeah. You said in another interview that um, Bill Clinton claimed on an interview that Hillary said she was a member of the Illuminati and that was scrubbed from the internet. Is that correct? It wasn't Bill that said it. It was uh, Trump that said it. Oh, Trump said it. Trump had said this? Okay. Yeah, because I saw it on the news when it happened. But But who's going to believe that anyway? Everybody that saw it. 
Mm. I couldn't have been the only person in the whole world that saw that. No, interview. no. My question for you, Zachary. No, it's not that. I'm not questioning that Trump said that. My 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 question really is because Trump said it. I mean, Trump has said a lot of things. Some of them not true. Some of them true, and not to uh, make a, a moral judgment here. Do you think Hillary was a member? Yeah, yeah. She's got a smirk on her face all the time. Smirk. smirk? Is a smirk. She's got a what? Zachary, you broke up. She's got a smirk on her face all the time. Smirk is a demon named smirk oddly enough but that's where the word smirk came from there's a demon named smirk and she's always got a smirk on her face she won the 2000 i think it was nine margaret sanger award because you're a godly person you don't get that because you go to church too much you get that because you did something awesome for planned parenthood each one murders 1500 babies a year and there's 865 of them as of 2015, there's got to be more now. 100 times 865. That's a hell of a lot. It's, it's, it's rampant throughout the world now, abortion. And that's one of the things that you highlight in your ministry. Well, abortion is a terrible thing. You know, when Mary told me that my job was to help her end abortion, I didn't know how to help the, the world end it. I could only stop myself. So I went to adoration. I was going to adoration up to 18 hours a day. In Vermont? Yeah, St. Mark's Catholic Church. They have perpetual adoration. And I asked Jesus one of the days, hey, man, your mom told me that I'm supposed to help, help her end abortion, but I don't know how. So he told me to wait a second. And a couple of minutes later, Mary showed up. She said, use what you know. She was gone. It was very short, very profound. I know abortion is a satanic sacrifice. Yeah. So I, I wrote a transcript from that angle that transformed into a book. As I was telling you before, I was shocked how high that went on Amazon. You know, I wasn't really shocked at the placement I had. I was shocked at how many books were in that category for me to make it to that point. You know, the, the first thing they told me was that my book was ranked 201, which was disappointing to me. That meant there was 200 people ahead of me, but they told me that was in spiritual books and there was 165,000 books in spiritual books. So I was ranked 201. I was amazed. And then they told me I was ranked number 865 overall. And I estimated that there were a million books being sold on Amazon, and they told me there was 27 million. So to be ranked number 865 out of 27 million, even if it was just for one day, with that. you said your, your, your priest friend was number one. Diary of an American Exorcist by Monsignor Stephen J. Rossetti landed on number one on the Catholic category on Amazon. And uh, last I checked, which was a week ago, it was close to 100 in the overall category it's a bestseller so there's a big appetite for the spiritual and uh, the religious in our society even as we grapple with all of these problems he tells us that the possessed and oppressed and those he liberates um, often break out into foreign languages and languages that no longer exist you know even did speak in language you know latin french which obviously does exist spanish and so on it's pretty exhausting work but what you get out of it is that the number of exorcisms is huge and the number of exorcists out there uh, there are more now than there were a decade ago and there are more exorcisms being performed we don't know exactly why that is and he said he has to distinguish between mental health issues oh, and yeah. somebody who is oppressed or um possessed but he said there are the caseload of exorcisms is extraordinary yeah i work with exorcists around the world and 
one of my jobs is to help discern if the person is possessed or not. And then there's people that believe that exorcism would cure everything. And it doesn't. It only cures you if you're possessed. So can you see the cover of the book? No, I'm, I'm blind. Okay. I, I was going to mention that. Are you, you're legally blind or you have some vision? In my left eye, I have some vision. In my right eye, I'm 100% blind. And it's worth noting that you have some other health issues. I am on dialysis. I'm diabetic and I'm missing my right foot. Oh dear. That's, that's tough. And Aesthetic and sometimes it's a weird phantom sensations are strange. When I had a foot, I couldn't wiggle my toes. Now, sometimes I feel like my toes are wiggling. So I feel like they're waving to me from wherever they are. Wow. Uh, you recently came back from Medjugorje. Yes, I went to Medjugorje. Can you tell us about that? Now, again, with um, some kind of a, I won't call it a disclaimer, but it's worth noting that this is a place of Catholic pilgrimage. I, I won't say it's recognized by the Catholic Church, and it's in a kind of a gray area, and it, right. it's some uh, church leaders, it's controversial, it's been under investigation, if we believe the reports, there's been some scandals attached to it. On the other hand, I've heard of the miraculous occurring there. It's still a place where a lot of Catholics will visit, and they say they see an apparition of the Blessed Mother. What did you see? Well, I went there because I didn't hear about it till I turned Catholic. So in January of 08, people started to talk to me about Medjugorje. And I thought that was the best kept secret for me in the world. Because if I'd have heard about that years before, I'd have gone. And I had never heard of it. And I had heard the controversies. But, you know, over the years of being Catholic, every priest I've ever met outside of the United States got their marching orders in Medjugorje. I mean, that's at least hundreds, if not thousands of priests. In other words, they got their vocation in Medjugorje. And they had their vocation in Medjugorje. And, you know, Jesus said, you will know the tree by its fruit. Well, the fruit is over a thousand priests. How can that be a bad thing? Now, I've seen the video of the seer that almost had the guy's finger go in her eye, and she recoiled in horror, and then claims, this sounds like a bogus claim, that, that Jesus wiggled out of the Blessed Mother's arms, and she almost dropped him. One, the Blessed Mother's not going to drop Jesus. Two, Jesus can't fall. So I don't see how those things are possible, and it seemed like she got caught with the finger almost going in the eye, and she had to make up a story. And that was the best she could do. I, I don't I don't know. You know, I wasn't there for that, but I was in Medjugorje for nine days. How I got there, I went to Florida about a month ago, and I did two talks in, a, in two different churches, um, two pro-life meetings. I did two talks at two different pro-life meetings, one in St. Augustine and one in Jacksonville. And I did two book signings, and that's in St. Augustine. And yeah. while I was there... They asked me if I'd ever been to Medjugorje, and I said no, that I had mixed feelings about it. I would like to know one way or the other, and I feel like if I could go, I could make up my own decision, but I would never be able to afford to go. So she asked me if I'd like to go, and I said yes. So she said that she was, uh, her name is Debbie Womack. She was planning a trip there, and she was taking 101 people, and they were leaving in like seven days or something like that. And so we, well, it would have been more than that at that time she was telling me, probably like two weeks. And so at the end of the day, she asked me one more time, did you want to go? And I said, yes, I do. And she said, okay, you're covered financially. We have you. So it was like 
$1,700 for the plane ride, $2,000 for the tour, and $1,000 for my dialysis when I was there. There's almost $5,000 to get me there. Somebody paid for me. I don't know who, but I am extremely grateful. When you land in Sarajevo, and then I had to catch a cab ride to Medjugorje. It's about a three-hour cab ride. And when you get there, it feels holy. If you have never been someplace that feels holy, then I don't know how to describe it to you. I have been the National Shrine of Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. If you've ever been there, that place feels holy. It's like 365 acres. There's multiple buildings for you to stay on the grounds. The National Shrine is there. The Shrine is a very tiny church, but it's beautiful. All the priests there, you know, Father Calloway, Father Alar, uh, the guy that wrote 33 Days to Morning Glory. He also does... Uh, a dedication to St. Joseph, I think, and Father Anthony Gramlich is the rector. You know, there's some amazing priests there. I'm probably missing a bunch of them. And then there's some amazing brothers as well. Uh, Brother Tim is amazing. I don't know if he's a priest yet, but that place feels holy. And then when you drive off the grounds, they're surrounded by witchcraft. So it no longer feels holy. You have to be on the grounds to feel it. Well, in Medjugorje, every place there, everywhere feels holy. It just, the entire city feels holy. When Mary shows up, it's like you can feel Mary's presence. When Mary leaves, you feel her absence. But even with her absence, the city feels holy. It's an incredible place. Everybody that's there, when it's time to leave, nobody wants to leave. The whole you time say it feels holy, um, Zachary. Um, is that the lack of noise? Is it just a, a calm? Is the sky blue? People are nice to each other. They're not pushing and shoving. And can all you be a little that. more vivid, maybe? You have all of that, but you feel like if you're in tune with your own spirituality, mm. if you know what it feels like to be in union with God, and you know what it feels like when you're out of union with God, because you know what it feels like when you're in a state of sin, and you know when you're separate from God, and then you go into confession, and you come out, and you've got absolution, and you feel white as snow, and you feel the weight of the world lifted from your shoulders, it feels like that in Medjugorje all the time. Uh, you can go to confession almost 24 hours a day. Anytime you want to, you can go. I mean, we were there for the 40th anniversary of Mary's, Mary's apparition. So it's like 40th to the day, 40 year. I went to confession three times when I was there, there for nine days. You feel always in a state of grace, feel like you're in the presence of God. You feel like you're in the presence of Mary, but you know when you're in the presence of Mary, you know when Mary's there. They ring a bell, a church bell that tells you when Mary's there and they ring it again when she leaves. It is an incredible place for, I have a, a friend that doesn't believe in it at all. I was at a wedding last weekend and me and the person that hosted me for the wedding, and I think both priests there, both priests got their vocation in Medjugorje. And me and the hostess talked about Medjugorje being the holiest place on the planet. And our friend disagreed. And I said, you telling me that you disagree that Medjugorje is the holiest place on the planet is like somebody telling me they hate pizza, but they've never eaten it. <laughs> you can't say that. I'll listen to your opinion when you've been there and you come back, you tell me that it's not the holiest place on the planet, I'll listen to your opinion because you've been there. 
Were there any apparitions? Did you feel or, or, or get a, a sense of anything like the Holy Mother in your presence? Yes. When we went to one of the apparitions, it's the only woman that gets the apparitions now, I guess. And she's got to be, if this is 40 years later, she's got to be well in her 50s or 60s now. Yeah, I would guess so. So you felt something at that point? I felt something. I felt Mary was in the room. I didn't see her, but you know, I don't I don't see a whole lot these days. No, I understand. Why does the Blessed Mother choose Medjugorje? What explains that? I have no idea. I mean, why did Mary choose Fatima? Yeah. Why did she choose Nock? Yeah. I mean, you could ask that question about every apparition. Let me throw a curveball, if you will. Why doesn't the Blessed Mother visit Midtown Manhattan? and convert New York City. I don't know. Times Square and show up there. Well, we can all second guess Mary and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but we're not them. Do you think it's because of such demonic, maybe by your account, there's a demonic environment in some parts of cities that there's no room for something holy to to enter? I don't think so. I think that holiness would press out. The evil. Yeah, that's like... You know, there's only one thing that's strong enough to snuff out light, and that's a black hole. Yeah. So pretty much can push away any darkness. I want to quickly go back to your early childhood so that we've covered the gamut and then wrap up. You got into um, magic, and you spell it M-A-G-I-C-K, and with the K, that means indicative of the occult, as I understand. It's not the same as regular M-A-G-I-C. Uh, right. by playing a kid's game in high school or in school uh, called Bloody Mary. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, that was in fifth grade. That was my first day in fifth grade. A kid came up to me and said, meet me in the bathroom at the first break. First break was at 1020. So I walked into the bathroom and there was 49 other kids there. And they said, we're going to play the Bloody Mary game. We're going to turn off the lights in the bathroom and chant Bloody Mary X number of times. And if you do it right, the spirit of a burn victim will show up in the mirror. So we're naive. We're like, sure, why not? And they turn out the lights, 50 kids in the bathroom boys and girls, and we chanted this phrase, and the face showed up. Now, this is 1976. There's no holographic flashlights. There's not a Spencer Gifts. You can't buy any of this crazy stuff in, in, in a store. So 49 kids ran screaming out of the bathroom. One child, one idiot, I can call him an idiot because it was me, stayed in the bathroom thinking this is the coolest thing ever. I chanted this phrase. I did it. I made this face appear. This is the coolest thing ever. And then, you know, some kids got hurt doing that. And notes were sent home. Said if your child was caught playing this at school, you'd be suspended for three days. I didn't want to get caught. So I started playing the game at home. And it was during that same time that I decided that I would try a magic spell in real life and thought maybe that was magic. I'm not sure, mm. but maybe I'll harness that in some way. So I did a spell for money at that time. You know, I've already explained that I found $5 and $10. And then I did it in the bathroom at home. And when the face showed up, I made sure it knew I was doing a spell for money. And the next day I found $1,000. Extraordinary. And one thing led to another. And then I got involved in the first satanic coven because I was recruited by another 12-year-old child. And uh, so that's how I joined the first group. I became a wizard when I was 21. So that was in my the episode when you were younger when you and a group of kids were involved in an activity to get some 
woman pregnant with the intention of her having an abortion whenever that occurred in you know in the early days it was all the kids aged about 12 or 13 to 15 and we were having a sex party to impregnate a woman that was about 18 or 19 and the purpose was so that she would have a late-term abortion is that common you think was it common back then is it still common today it's extremely common these women are called breeders their purpose they have sex to get pregnant to have abortions you research this on youtube I'm not the only person that says stuff like this. What are the backgrounds of these women? Do they come from all socioeconomic groups and and, and demographics? I would imagine, yes, but I can't imagine there's too many women that are multimillionaires that do this. Why is that? They would have no need. The women that are breeders are given something they're getting money or wealth or influence right they're, they're given something that they want you know and they're willing to sacrifice their children to do it how do you view the world today what we're in the discord and sense of moral crisis and political upheaval i believe that biden stole the election i believe that trump really won I also believe that the people that voted for Biden were misled. I mean, a lot of the people that voted for Biden were Catholic. You can't be Catholic and be pro-choice. And the Democratic Party has a pro-choice platform. So that's not you have the right to abort or you have the right to let the baby live. That's not how that works. That means you have the right to have an abortion. Plain and simple, that's what pro-choice means. You have the right to say yes to an abortion. You know, you can't vote for a presidential candidate that says it's okay to murder a baby. 40% of the people that voted Obama in, and he was the most abortion-friendly president we've ever had, 40% of them were bad Catholic. You know, on Judgment Day, all of us have Judgment Day. Every time you die, you have a small judgment, and then later you have the judgment. All of us have to stand before God, and all of us have to answer, not just for what we did do, but what we didn't do. You say that the election was stolen from Trump, and we've seen all kinds of reports support that and contradict that. And the conclusion by a lot of the authorities is that it wasn't stolen, that that's all bunkum. Of course they say that. They stole it. What's the person that stole your car? What are they going to say when you come to them? Did you steal it? No, I didn't steal it. What's they going to say? They stole it. So, uh, but you're basing what you're saying on the reports you read on the statistical evidence and the various reports that came out of the Trump campaign and other uh, groups. About at the time that people were coming in to the electoral office carrying huge boxes and people saw voting stuff in there, voting cards in there, but they weren't allowed to examine that. And the people that were officially doing the counts were kicked out. And this is reports from them. These people aren't Republican or Democrat. They're just there to do a job, forced out. And then they brought in other people that they didn't know that weren't the official counters that they're now in charge of counting. How do you interpret that? Do you just look at it naively and think, oh, well, that just happened. Nothing bad happening there. Nothing nefarious, nothing suspicious. I'm just going to bury my head in the sand and ignore anything bad is happening. Is that what we're saying? If that's what you're saying, I'll bury my head in the sand with the rest of you. I won't be happy about it. We may never know, but Trump has said uh, he's made up his mind about the next election, so maybe he'll run again. 
I just kind of want to wrap up here um, with your background in the occult. When you look at America and the West, is America demonically oppressed? That's what Monsignor Rossetti would say. I would agree. We make poor decisions in this country. We vote for abortion-friendly presidents and then wonder why our country sucks. Why is everything going poorly? And then people say, well, we're not one-issue voters. Well, God might be. Maybe to God, abortion was the most important issue. And then you all said, that's not important to us. We're going to vote Biden in. Okay. So like when a few years ago, a shooting, a school shooting happened, and I got interviewed. And the woman asked me in the interview, where was God during the shooting? And I said, where'd you put him? Was that when you decided that there could be no more school prayer? Well, you took him out then. Or you decided that we couldn't have the Holy Bible in school anymore. So you took him out then. Or individual children couldn't pray at their desk. Well, you took him out then. Now suddenly he's supposed to be there for the shooting? You kicked him out at least three times. Where was he during the shooting? Where did you put him? There's no right to life. And why are we talking about other rights? That is true. I mean, Mother Teresa said the fruit of abortion was nuclear war. You know, and if a mother is so lost that she thinks it's okay to murder her baby, then really what is sacred? There's nothing. It's a, a free-for-all at that point. Right. It's a free-for-all at that point. Mm. And all hell breaks loose. What advice have you for families today in terms of the occult and the demonic and magic? Well, don't go near it. Don't satisfy your curiosity. You know, if your children have access to the internet, they're looking at stuff they shouldn't. I don't care what kind of net nanny you have to go to protect your children. They will find a way around it. You've got to keep up with them. You've got to know what they're doing at all times, pretty much. You know, remember that your children, as me, as I was a, as a child, you're not the brightest bulb in the box. You're not the sharpest crayon. You know, you need the answer and you're going to find it wherever you can. Most likely, you're first going to go to your friends who are just as dumb as you are, and then they're going to point you in the direction of the internet, which a lot of people think that if it's on the internet, it's true. Well, that's not accurate either. You know, there's some topics that are very hard for you to talk about with your children. I get that. But if you don't talk about it with them, where are they going to go to get the answers? And are they going to get Catholic answers from someone else. They may not get the right answers. Wouldn't you like them to get the right answer from you? I mean, it might be, sex might be a hard topic for you to talk, to cover with your kids, but wouldn't you rather them get it from you than from their best friend down the street who got it from the internet? Or maybe he got it from a dirty magazine. Maybe he got it from his dad, who's not a practicing Catholic. You know, magic is the same thing. Parents have a hard time. My parents told me that magic wasn't real. They apparently missed the 33 books in the, or 33 verses in the Bible where God tells you not to do magic things. Where do you see us all headed in the next year or two? Any uh, note of optimism or is it more pessimism? You know, I, I would like to stay positive and say that we have rosaries, we have masses. You know, we have things that we can do as Catholics, but we're bombarded by the devil every day. So... On the one hand, we can stay positive because we win in the end, but it's going to be a battle every day till the end comes. You know, till the Blessed Mother crushes the devil's head, it's going to be a fight. You know, you can't be scared. 
you got to pick up your rosary. That's your weapon of mass destruction. And you've got to head into battle. And don't think that I'm going to bury my head in the sand and everything will be okay. I got to tell you, I was small for my age growing up. And not hitting the bully back doesn't stop him from hitting you. Yeah, you're in spiritual warfare. Whether you fight or not, you're in it. You're being hit by the devil every day, even if you're not fighting back. So you might as well fight. Well, we're going to leave it there, uh, Zachary King. It's been a pleasure. It's been fascinating. Love to have you back uh, in a few months and catch up. And I'll have more questions. And we'll see what you're up to. You have a good summer. And thank you for being on my show. Thank you for having me. It's a good time. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com burndesk at gmail.com Subscribe for free.